0: So as we as we look at Luke chapter 10, you know, it's been a little while since we've been in this flow of the gospel of Luke. And it is interesting that in chapter nine, we saw Jesus, in a sense, going around and gathering the rest of his disciples before he makes his final charge into Jerusalem itself. Luke nine is is often characterized in kind of classic narrative fashion as the high point of the Gospel of Luke. Because in a sense, the Gospel is reaching a crescendo of tension, wondering whether Jesus really is the Messiah or not. All of that is resolved in Luke chapter 9. He then gathers one last group of disciples as he spends his ministry time up in the north, up near the Sea of Galilee, and now begins the the great and purposeful trip to Jerusalem where he will ultimately be able to have the greatest victory of all as he makes, as he has this great victory for us. Can somebody hand me that um, music stand there, please? I need it for the computer. All right. Way to go, Bishop. Bishop. Yeah. Yeah. In, you know, in, in, in nine is when he has this great crowd of disciples that is surrounding him and he puts out the offer of anyone. If anyone wants to be my disciple, here are the musts. You gonna have to take up your cross. All right. So, I have my back. So, anyway, in Luke chapter nine, Jesus does put out this offer for if, if any of you want to be my disciple. You need to keep an eye on my laptop, follow me, take up your cross, and all is going to be great. Some some follow, but some don't. As he moves along, he gives other opportunities to come up one by one throughout the, the chapter, to ask people, follow me, follow me. And he begins to gather. And then before this gathering, then comes, in Luke chapter 10, the great mission. And it reminds me of... How many movies really have been based on this kind of an idea of where you assemble the team of a bunch of unlikely ragtags and then they go and they kind of get it going on in this great mission that seems to be way beyond them. And yet somehow they're able to pull it off. I mean, my goodness, the the dirty dozen. I mean, what was that? But exactly that, the Magnificent Seven for the purest among you, the seven samurai. Really? the precursor of Magnus ben 7. How about Ocean's Eleven, the classic movie on that, whether it's the Rat Pack or, or the, uh, the, the recent. Um, the Expendables, even up to Expendables 8. I have foreknowledge. <laughs> the Avengers, it's exactly the same story. The Muppet movie is amazingly in alignment with this very same concept. The Right Stuff, The Mighty Ducks, The Fellowship of the Ring, X-Men First Class, all of that, all of that is the exact same story. But as we look at where we're heading now in Luke chapter 10, after all of this gathering that goes on in Luke chapter 9, we head into Luke chapter 10 with Jesus sending out 70 or 72. There's a textual variant here that I'll talk about in a moment. But now it's, it's not only gathering, but now sending out. And in all of those movies, that very thing happened. But there's one movie that seems to be really close to my heart. On this whole issue. And that movie is. We're getting the band back together. The Blues Brothers. Because. As Jake and Elwood. Juliet Jake and Elwood Blues. Get out of prison. Jake does. Elwood picks them up. In an old police car. And picks them up. And they have a vision from God. That they're supposed to get the band back together. And so they go and they go. And they start to gather up all the band members that are going to play this great benefit concert and this great mission that they're going to take on, that one after another, as they go, they, they, are, they are heartened by this idea that they have a divine mission. And so as they go and they meet up with one after another, even with Matt Guitar Murphy, who's married to um, um, Aretha Franklin in the movie, right? and they, they own a diner together, and and Jake and L would come up and they say, Matt, Matt! We're getting the band back together. And then Aretha's like, Why no, not with my man, you're not. And and then they said, You know, ma'am, you just gotta understand that this is a lot bigger than any of the domestic problems that you might be experiencing. And would it make you feel any better if you knew what we're asking Matt to do here is a holy thing? You see? And this is the title of my sermon. We're on a mission from God. All right. And unlike many of those other Assemble the Team movies, the Blues Brothers was the classic movie of putting the guys together and then sending them out on a mission from God. And for Jesus, as he gathers his guys together and now is ready to send them out into the great mission, he sends them out on nothing less than a mission from God. And by the way, when we were called by Jesus, when we were gathered together, it wasn't to sit around sipping pumpkin spice lattes and muse over a psalm. We were gathered together because we hear whether we recognize it as intensely as Jesus recognizes it for us, we're on a mission from God. If you're looking for a bunch of points today, there is one. We're on a mission from God. And that may sound like, you know, kind of megalomaniac type talk, and oh, you know, is that demagoguery? It seems as though these are, um, you know, kind of... uh, Rather arrogant statements that you're making, well, no. To say anything less is false humility. Because scripturally, what we're called into, into the body of Christ, is nothing less than what Jesus establishes here in this passage, is to be on a true mission for God. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, many of the earliest manuscripts, including the oldest Bible manuscript that we have, which is the Codex Sinaiticus, they have the number 70 all throughout this story. And it's kind of an even split with the textual variance between these two. And many favor the idea of 70 because with this idea of 70 is the fact that when Moses had a great mission that was beyond himself, God asked him to set aside 70 elders and he was able to then empower them with the Holy Spirit to be able to take care of all of God's people. Also, it was the idea at the time in the first century that there were 70 nations and even 70 languages, but 70 nations on earth. And so this number 70 is a very significant number at a time where numbers played a much bigger idea than they do for us today. Numerology Not in a kind of a mystical sense, but just in the idea that that certain numbers have a feel of of greater completeness or a greater association with different concepts, which was, again, very much alive in the first century. Had the idea that 70 was the number that you were covering it all. And so to have 70 was to be able to cover it all, to get to all nations, to be able to do the full work of pronouncing, as they will hear, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus appoints the 70 or the 72 and sends them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so now what we have for the rest of this chapter is basically... Jesus' great speech to rally his troops that he's put together to go out and fight evil. They're not doing anything less than that, by the way. They're going to go out and combat evil in a fallen world. And as they get ready to head out, here's Jesus' words of encouragement to them. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves don't take a purse or a bag or sandals don't greet anyone on the road when you enter a house first say peace to this house if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest on them if not it'll return to you stay there eating drinking whatever they give you for a worker deserves his wages don't move around from house to house and when you enter a town and are welcomed eat what is offered to you this by the way is not like a three-hour tour they are heading out to towns to do this. Whenever you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat whatever is offered. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Or the, the, the um, preposition is a, is, a, is a bit difficult to translate, but it could also mean the kingdom of God has now come upon you. But when you enter a town, And are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town, we wipe from your feet, from our feet, as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And if you don't get the reference of Sodom... Sodom was the town that incurred the wrath of God in the book of Genesis, and ultimately God destroyed it, and when you talk about preachers that preach uh, sermons that are, that are all about uh, hellfire and, uh, and, and sulfur you know, raining down, it comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God did, in a sense, rain down fire and sulfur upon them, and, and brimstone, I guess, would be the, uh, the, the older version of that idea. So I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So there's a lot at stake here. But then look at what Jesus says as he's kind of thinking about these towns to where they go. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyr and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tir and Sidon were port cities that were very, very rich. One was a little island city and the other was its sister city right on the shores of the Mediterranean. And they were very self-sufficient, a very small area, but a small area with great, great wealth and also quite arrogant and under the, the real wrath of God for the way that they've thumbed their nose at God on many different occasions as he sent prophets to be able to try to open their eyes. But they never did. And here God is saying... The places where Jesus hung out, Jesus is saying, the places where I hung out the most, where you thought that, wow, we had something going on. They're going to have a much rougher time on the day of judgment than even the arrogant wealth of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 15, and you, Capernaum, this is basically Jesus' hometown that he's addressing now. You, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, You will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, now he's talking to his uh, 70 heading out. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. No one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. And they hear it, what you hear, but did not hear it. And they all said, whoa. (laughs) And so, as we consider this passage today, and the applications for us, Jesus makes it rather clear that once he establishes his discipleship, That that discipleship is one that is meant to propagate itself infinitely until ultimately the world is brought to its its new beginning. And that means that every link in the chain, those that are discipled by Jesus, he calls them. Here's how you are to go out and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. So when these 70 go... And make other disciples in any of these places where they go, if they are true to Jesus's call to make disciples, then that next generation of disciples would look exactly as those before them. Command C, command V, copy, paste exactly what they became is what then they pass on to others without some sort of a kind of a a selective formatting of what it is that, that happens to the, the next generation of disciples. And while you may enter a town where they have great wealth, you enter a town where they have great disease, whatever it might be, we're not to somehow decide that, well, they don't really like to evangelize. So let's kind of hold back on teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. Because, you know, that, that might be a little bit uncomfortable for them. What have they done? If that's what they've decided, they've decided in arrogance that they know a better way of being able to help others come into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, if if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be his disciple, we've got to deny ourselves. Life is no longer about self. We've got to take up our cross and we've got to follow him. That's the lead up into into this very mission. That's what all of them heeded. That's what they all followed before they were gathered ...into this great and amazing mission that they are a part of. And for us, we need to make no mistake about this. We are on a mission from God. Really. No, we really are. Come on, Ed. And I'm glad that this message comes to us at just this time from the gospel... ...because I think I need it. And honestly, I think we all need this. Amen. I think it's been very easy to take little small half steps of compromise... From times where we knew what it was to be fully engaged, to have a view of the kingdom of God, to care dearly about everyone and help them to be able to connect to true discipleship of Jesus rather than some sort of a cultural American compromise of what Christianity has popular been characterized by. And it's a hard, hard task many times, especially in a a country where, you know, the, the great, great, great majority of people. Claim Christianity, but yet it's a compromised version of Christianity. But just like the chicken pox, you know, you get inoculated with just a little bit of Christianity and you're in a sense vaccinated against full blown Jesus. And We have to bring people full blown Jesus, but we have to be full blown Jesus as well. That needs to be who we are again. And it is a time for us. To get back to really being on the mission that Jesus has put us on. And I and I know for me it's been little half steps of, well, I'll share about Jesus today, but really you know why I'm doing it? I'm doing it out of guilt. What is that? What is that? That's not denying myself. That's like, no, I want to live my life, but because I'm living my life my way and it's not completely rearranged for Jesus, I feel a little bit bad about that. And, and so, so I don't feel so bad because I want to feel good about myself. Then I'm going to throw out a little invitation here or there to, to maybe come to something where we might talk about Jesus. That, that's not a mission. That's not a mission at all. I mean, it's really frightening even, you know, to, to even have that idea and to have that kind of come over me. And to also recognize, even as I have fellowship and conversations, one with another here, that we're all finding ourselves in that sort of a neighborhood Rather than back on, wow, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being commissioned by him. Wow, well, what you've done for me, shed your blood, love me dearly. What wouldn't I do for you, Jesus? Thank you, thank you, thank you that I even have such a significance yeah. to my very life. That is not the mundane life of, of quiet desperation that it was. But I've been transformed and plucked out, set on a great path of something rather significant with my life. I'm not here trying to conjure up my own vision and mission statement anymore to try to make myself feel significant. I've been given one by you, and it doesn't get any bigger than this. We're here to help save the world. And there's no plan B. It's only through disciples that Jesus does this very thing. And as Jesus sets them on this course, he says, because the harvest is so huge, well, then, we've got to be on a mission. The harvest is huge. Immensely huge. Frighteningly huge. As a matter of fact, even as I, I, I think, think through it, um, you know, we, we had Halloween just the, the other day here, and it was heartbreaking to see the way that some of the parents talk to their kids. And you can only imagine what goes on when they're home. I mean, just the frustration level. And I would boil over and in and, and no regard is, is just, you know, kind of really kind of wrestling the kids around. And, and, and I, you know, and I think of other experiences where I've, I've come to, you know, no families like that and realize, you know, no child services is really going to be a real solution for that. Yeah. The only solution is, is as, as we love dearly and share immensely to this huge harvest. That with every person that we can, it's, it's us being able to have great connections with parents like that to help them to know Jesus. So that, that not only could that marriage be brought into an amazing place as, as marriages here have, but also so that the entire family dynamic can be what it needs to be. But the, the harvest is huge. And, and when we really do pray through, through your neighborhood, think of all the, the issues that are there. Remember, Deb and I, as we just moved before we came here, and we, we prayed through our neighborhood right before we moved here because we were in that neighborhood 10 years, and we just looked up and down the block and saw all the, all the kids that got incarcerated, all the marriages that failed. There were so many I mean, people that we really befriended, people we really were trying to reach out to, but we also realized that the, the, the only hope is Jesus, and all of these situations, they were trying a lot of other things, a lot of public services, a lot of, of professional services, but what they needed was Jesus now also, as, as Halloween came, the other thing that was really sad and helped me see how huge the harvest was was it was really just what people wore yeah. and and specifically, sisters, I don 't know if this kind of hits home for you or not, but boy, oh boy, what I, what I saw with what women were wearing at Halloween, you know guys, we have an issue in that we are often very tempted to view pornography. And, and of course, you know, we, we fight against that and per, pursue purity with all we have. But while we're tempted to view pornography, I, I think it's actually on the other side of it, gender-wise, that, that women are more tempted to perform or commit pornography yeah. and to use Halloween or dress-up as an excuse right. to put it on out there. You know, it's like, all right, here's a skin-tight suit and a cat. Here's a skin-tight suit and a bunny rabbit. Here's a skin-tight suit and a puppy dog. Here's a skin-tight suit and a... But what's the common denominator? Oh, great. It's Halloween. I get to wear a skin-tight suit and commit pornography. And you just see how that's just so widespread. It's just kind of like the default of what it is that you dress up and you realize, oh, my goodness. What it was that when they were little girls... That, that they really hoped to be as they grew up or even what their parents had as their great hopes and joy and the purity of what they were. All that purity is, is available, but only through the blood of Jesus and only if it can be disrupted. The harvest is huge and we are plan A and there is no plan B. Speaking of which, because the workers are few. We're on a mission. There's no... You know what? I think somebody else has got this one here. The workers are few. Jesus has made that plain. And, and likewise, I think as you make your way through the day, sharing the gospel, inviting people, that you notice that there's not a lot of people doing that to you. It's not as though Gandalf is waiting on the other side of the mountain on a white horse, ready to ride over the hill with a massive core of disciples ready to support what it is that you got going on. I think we've got to realize we got to get down to it. The workers are few. And by the way, I loved how the Stafford Church does this, because this is verse 1002, and Jesus here says, pray for the workers of the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for the workers, um, that God will send out workers into the harvest field, so, every day at 10.02, I try to remind myself, and I, I guess I could set an alarm, but every time I try to look at a watch, I, I try to remind myself at 10.02, I'm going to pray for workers for the harvest field. But by the way, once we've been converted into Christ, when we're in the body of Christ, there's no kind of like holding pattern, there's no in between. We go from being harvested to being harvesters right away. Now, if you, well, I don't think I really need to be harvested. And I'm not really a harvester. Well, you're creating categories that Jesus doesn't create. Amen. And if you want to create some sort of a comfort zone that you might want to call, let's say, lukewarm. Well, the Bible has something to say about that as well. There's either cold or there's hot. We, we need to make sure that we are who we're meant to be when we enter into Christ. We're the workers. We are the laborers. But here's the encouraging part is that when you think about the laborers of a harvest the harvesters that come in. In America, you can't even get Americans to do that job because it's so low skill, it's such hard work, and it's such low pay. So, in case you're thinking, well, I'm all that. I'm one of the workers. No, you're not. You're a migrant farmhand that had to be imported to be able to do the work because the real great technical hard work of this harvest has already been done through Jesus' blood and the work of the Holy Spirit convicting this great huge harvest. But we need to be in there. And it's not all that Well, I think if I have this great insight in being able to help them, and I have this great story to be able to help them, you know what? We're just pickers. Yeah. <laughs> just open your mouth. Just say something. Yeah. I'm sure that if we we're in the fields, you know, trying to see who the best at picking strawberries down in Pungo right now, you know, if, if you're like, hey, I, I want to show you guys some of these advanced techniques and let's have a little seminar on these advanced techniques of picking strawberries. I think after a while, we'll like, shut up and pick.
1: <laughs>
0: if you just do something, we're going to get a whole lot more done.
1: <laughs>
0: we can second and third guess the technique of picking here all we want. But what we're described as here as harvesters is that we are just basic wage earners that just need to open our mouths because the, the the population I think is as open as our mouths are, as many have said. <laughs> It's more than directions to Yates Elementary School. When Jesus sends them out, he basically lets them know, we're on a mission from God. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to be the ones that bring to this population the message of the kingdom of God. Whoa, right? And yet, what do we want to do? Mr. Relatable! Hey, how's it going? Yeah, we got this, you know, cool gathering here. If you don't have, you know, maybe a place where you're going to Sunday, come down to Yates. You know, just go down a light from, you know, I'm always at the Seven Eleven. Come down, you know, take a take a left on, on, on Warwick and then down. And yeah, don't, don't don't worry about the the whole detour thing. What you got to do is go through that parking lot and then you're in. Uh, it, it'll be all right. I mean, that's kind of like that became my evangelism. God forbid, I think for probably about three months of, of the way that I shared about it and and I decided all right oh my goodness am I am I on a mission from God or am am I like the concierge trying to like show someone how they can get from point A to point B I could be replaced by Google Maps like that what does God need me and and I decided you know what I'm I'm going to try to have real conversations about the spiritual life that that we all share and that we want others to be able to have. And it's been so encouraging. And, and it's not kind of like, all right, I need to have clever things to say. Here's all that I've done. I realize I'm an idiot in my default mode. I think I'm clever, and I just mess everything up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let my inhibitions of my f- stinking fleshliness get out of the way and decide that I'm just going to kind of share with people what the Holy Spirit within me is really prompting me to share anyway. And you know, it's not like I go crazy in these moments because it is a spirit of power, love, and self control. So, amen for, for that great balance of the Holy Spirit. But suddenly I'm having conversations with people. And, and it kind of, you know, well, you know, how is it going with, with, with your spiritual life? What, what is happening right now? Well, you know what? I know it sounds, and I'll, I'll even say this though I know it sounds crazy, but the Holy Spirit is actually prompting me. To say these very things to you. Cuckoo, cuckoo. I know, but I'm, I'm actually not. I'm just somebody who's been changed by God and I just want to be able to share this very thing with you. And oh my goodness, like the conversations that I, that I now have are off the charts. So much more encouraging and deep and I think probably effective because it's not based on my own cleverness or uh, incredible, you know, social savvy that I delude myself into thinking that I have. But but rather, in getting myself out of the way. And really, what is it, bottom line? It's my own inhibitions that want to turn this into something very mundane or, or kind of a social club type thing. And, and it is. It's my, my own social inhibition, my, my fleshly inhibitions, that I'm comfortable talking at that level because I would assume that other people are only comfortable talking at that level. Well, the Holy Spirit's trying to bust through, and the Holy, and the kingdom of God is trying to bust through, and help people to be able to see that there is a kingdom of God. Because you know what? There is an eternity that's coming. Yeah. No doubt. There's going to be a judgment day. And there's going to be heaven. And there's going to be hell. And my goodness, we got to be doing something more than just going to be, you know, trying to be a little bit interesting. Or, or uh, yeah. uh, you know socially effective in our own minds of, of helping people to kind of have a little bit of an idea of how they might be able to come part of a nice little family circle group of some sort or another. We're a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus who have been repented, changed, and we're supposed to, by the way, too, and we do, and praise God, we do. We are some small manifestation, kind of a peeking through, kind of like pinpricks of, of light that are that coming through a, a gauze to be able to show the kingdom of God. I mean, the kingdom of God is overarching over over all things. God's dominion is everywhere. But people that have realigned themselves with that dominion, how cool is that? It's what we are. And we need to not shy, shy away from being able to share that very thing. This is the scary part of this. uh, Jesus is basically telling them, oh, and by the way, everybody you talk to, you better listen up. Because these folks, they're on a mission from God. And here, yes, we go into megalomania mode at this point. Because what Jesus says, if they listen to you, they're listening to Jesus. And since they're listening to Jesus, they're listening to God. Ergo, by that syllogism, If people listen to you, they're listening to God. But if they reject you, well, extend it on out the exact same way again. There's a lot on the line here. And it's not as though like every word that comes out of our mouth, by the way, is inspired. And write this down, please, all of you, what I'm about to say. I mean, it's not that. It's just that we are vehicles by, by connecting people to the word of God and to the salvation that comes from God. And if people reject that invitation, reject that ability to be able to be connected, oh my goodness, the text here says it has huge implications. And by the way, when, when Jesus lays this out, he, he also lays out that if, if you've heard and not responded, well, that's really, really scary. And so for anyone that has grown up with the Bible, And you've had every opportunity, like Capernaum, where Jesus taught most of his teaching. Like Bethsaida, just up the road, where he fed the 5,000. Like Chorazin, which doesn't even appear in the Bible, which helps us to realize when John says, Hey, if, if everything was written down that Jesus did, the world wouldn't have enough books to fill it all. We've got the Reader's Digest version, to say the least. That would be the Cliff Notes version. Come on now. That would be the Sparks Notes version. (laughs) Trying to to get relevant. Uh, This is condensed stuff. How about that? It's the abridged version of your Audible book. Uh, But we do. We have an incredibly abridged version. But what Jesus says is that, all right, if you've had every opportunity and still you drag your feet and you think in some way, well, at least I grew up in a culture of knowing about Jesus. At least I grew up praying about Jesus. And you've not... Surrendered over to an absolute life of following Christ? Will you be exalted into the heavens, Capernaum? No. You're going down to the depths. Uh I'm going to share for a minute here with our with our teen ministry. Because, you know, bottom line, you all may think, well, at least I'm better than the other kids in my middle school or high school. Uh -uh. That's not what you want to be looking at right now. Because it isn't actually the way that Jesus lays this out he's basically saying, hey, you know the, the worst kid, John Tyr or Mary Sidon? You know the worst kid, Bobby Sodom? God forbid that that's his name. In your high school, your middle school? It's going to be easier on Judgment Day for that rapscallion than it is for you. Because at least you got to Hear about this. Yeah. Learn about this. And having all of this, if you're still like, meh, it's nice, interesting, not thrilling, but nice. Maybe, maybe if, I don't know, maybe they did more plays or maybe the preacher told more jokes or maybe he cut down his sermons by seven and a half minutes every single time consistently. <laughs> maybe then, you know, maybe then I could really commit myself to this whole Jesus thing that's there. Is, this is a scary thing in any of this to have these opportunities this is this is the kind of the, the divine breaking through of god of all of these opportunities he's arranged time and place so that you might know him reach out to him and find him and again to be nonplussed, to be unaffected and apathetic about this the biggest thing there is whoa judgment day is gonna be like the worst thing ever if, if that's where you stand. So you think, well, at least I'm better. No. You sit in a scary seat having all of these advantages. So there's really only one thing to do. And it's as quick as possible. Surrender over to Jesus. Figure this thing out. Because the alternative is off the charts. That goes for any of us, I think, that here. and We, we in a sense, grew up with a lot of advantages of, of knowing Jesus in one form or another. Maybe tradition has clouded it. Maybe somehow it, it, it's, it's... um some some sort of a, a cultural corruption of Christianity that has shaped you more than the Bible? Nonetheless, why why are you kind of having these these debates with yourself or with others about this when the Bible's pretty clear about what it is to surrender over completely, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, and get after what it is that he really is requiring? It's, there's, there's no kind of kind of, ah, let me dip a toe in the water type stuff that Jesus is happy with with Capernaum or with Bethsaida or with Chorazin in any of these cases. And, you know, Jesus comes to town and they're kind of like, well, you know, we'll check him out. You know, we have a lot of people that come through here. You know, even as you sit here today, you might be thinking, all right, well, I'll I'll check out this, this fellowship. Here's the news for you. You're not checking us out. God is checking you out. God is checking you out. Even as, as, as scriptures are applied to you, whether there's surrender or whether there's real resistance to it and pride, it is the moment where God is checking you out. We're happy to help. We've all been checked out plenty, too. We've all been ridiculously rebellious. I mean, you've even heard from more than a few people. It took me six months of you know kind of fending off my neighbor. Because I thought I had it together. i go to church Monday and Sunday. Who are you to come to me and tell me that I need to look at the Bible and really understand a few more things? How dare you? Do you know who I am? I was nobody, but in my mind, I mean, that's how how I would present it. But we know, we know, we know, you know, from from whence all of you come. It isn't like we kind of, you know, sprung to existence with a halo over our heads. I mean, my goodness, I, I really think we are like the worst of all people. I mean, we are that ragtag assembly that God has put together, the unlikely group that is somehow going to, you know, put the atom bomb in, in the uh, um, asteroid and be able to blow it to bits somehow. I mean, we are that unlikely group, but, but yet God has chosen us. And, by the way, he's choosing you too. And, evil is defeated. Because we're on a mission from God. The mere fact that we're on a mission from God already speaks to the idea that Jesus has won. We wouldn't be on a mission if Jesus didn't win. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave. If Jesus didn't have victory over the devil and over death itself. It's all done. It's all covered. You're on the winning side. Praise God. Let's do this thing. There's there's no fear here. I got to admit, even as I wrote this, I thought, all right, maybe I'll put Satan is defeated. But I think I watched too many scary movies as a kid and thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I don't wanna put a bullseye on my head. But even if I did, and I just said it anyway, it's all right, I got the Holy Spirit, I got the blood of Jesus. We're covered, communally, we're all right. Let's bring it, let's bring it, there's no evil that stands against the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't care how daunting it seems, there are folks right here. I thought, oh, ain't no way that that guy's making it. And they're here. And they're here. The love of Christ really did warm them down and then ultimately proclaiming Jesus in this most amazing way. And then finally, let's get ready to rejoice in the spirit. You know, as Jesus says to them, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let it be that We're confused because we're so fired up and jubilant that we're not sure that we're rejoicing about exactly the right thing. Right? Oh my goodness, but we were there. We were in the Bible study. We saw the Holy Spirit work. He did an amazing work right there before my very eyes. Satan fell. Strongholds came down. God was glorified. People converted. Families changed and reunited. How cool is that? Oh wait. Am I supposed to be jubilant about that? Or is that just that I'm written in there? Either way, praise God. How cool is that? Wow. <laughs> but to, to even of recently, to be able to see how God intervened in Jonathan and Carell's life. Yeah. I mean, like lightning bolt intervening and to sit down and see the scriptures soften them from arms folded so hard, now reunited, seeing their son Mikey so different in just that short period of time. Holy Spirit working amazingly powerfully. Barb Moriana, even as she came into town the very first night, put put the McDowell's in her path within hours of her arriving to be able to get into it and study the Bible and to be able to really know Jesus unfiltered. Obviously, God had something in store there. You know, to be able to see the Tatums just blossom with the word of God. And to kind of have some struggles along the way, have some questions along the way, but then to just surrender and just see the surrender. Like having a front row realize, oh my goodness, he's surrendering. He's surrendering to the word of God right here and right now. How powerful is Jesus? This is so cool. Mike and Brianna, you know, just around that same time too of being able to come out of so much tradition and really realign it all to the word of God. Praise God. Denise Trollio, even as she's facing open heart surgery, all that's going on at the very moment and, and then to be able to think, you know what? Yes, I got all these crazy distractions but the word of God has been made clear to me unlike it has in all these many years, all these few years, I'm sorry, of my life that I've had so far.
1: Come
0: on. To sit with Brandon Jones I mean, the ultimate guy of few words. And think, oh, how are we going to get him to talk? And then as, as the word was applied to his life, word was applied to his life, think, how are we going to get this guy to shut up? Yeah. Good thing it's all clever and wonderful and funny and all. But, but I mean, just to see a man change before my very eyes. Like, how cool is life? Yeah. But we all get to have these experiences. But you know what? We're not having them like, like we used to. Yeah. We're not. I was, I was right. saddened the other day, my kids, as we were driving home from Alex's baptism, as wonderful as that was, and to see Alex change too. But they're saying, you know, it seems like, it seems like we used to do this all the time. What's going on? I'm like, oh, out of the mouth of babes. I was like, you know what's going on? We as the adults are, are modeling something that we probably shouldn't be modeling right now. Because we're on a mission. Not on a cushion. We're on a mission. That's what we were reborn to do. And it's time for us to to, to recognize that. To get back to to having those experiences of rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. You know, is nothing like seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in a front row seat as somebody is studying the Bible and the Word of God is making that great effect. Let me encourage you, you've not been in a Bible study. That before this year ends, that you get into a Bible study. But if somebody that you ask, you just know of a Bible study going on, get in it. I mean, my goodness, to, to have your faith bolstered, nothing like that. And my goodness, and if you, right now, with kind of the big event of our, of our outdoor service coming up next week, which is going to be all the more inspiring, by the way, when it's beautiful blue skies, and we look back at, wow, wasn't God good to us? You know, we had a little nice, beautiful slice of London today. And now we're going to have, like, you know, <laughs> Virginia again next week. Praise God. Uh, but but if, if, if you are here right now, then you know what? I don't, I don't even have anybody that I know that I'm even reaching out to. To come and be part of something that's going to be so encouraging to all, plus spiritual as well. Then you know what? Time to get on the mission. Like here, it is our time now. It's rather, let's not be like, oh, I've got to make the donuts, got to reduce my guilt, got to do a little something, got to check some few boxes. What is that? Who wants to live our lives that way? Let's rejoice again in the Holy Spirit and realize what we've been called to do. Amen. Amen.